Well, let's pray as we come to look at God's word. Almighty God, we thank you that through the scriptures, you reveal to us what you're like. Lord, we pray this morning that as we explore Proverbs and other parts of the Bible, that you would show us what you're truly like and show us especially the heart you have for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable. And Father, as we discover this morning more of what you're like, show us more of what we should be like as your people and transform our hearts and our minds to receive your word with humility. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's very clear to see that the poor and the vulnerable and the needy are often the biggest victims of mistreatment, of unfairness, and of violence. At the minute, we've got children and women fleeing Ukraine still. And do you know what happens to those vulnerable women and children when they reach the border? There are traffickers hoping to take them away, to traffic them into slavery. They're being preyed upon, these vulnerable women and children. A number of years ago, I was in Uganda and spent a lot of time with street children, children who have had their parents die and they're living on the streets, or parents who, children who've been disowned because they can't afford to be kept at home. And they're now living on the streets, in these big gangs, sleeping rough, getting food from wherever they can. And as you listen to their stories, they are heartbreaking. Policemen coming and abusing them because they can. Gangs coming and getting them to do all sorts of evil things because otherwise they can kill them and get away with it. But is it not also true within half a mile of this church building are there not women in this community who face domestic abuse at home and yet they can't leave because they're dependent financially upon their abuser? Are there not asylum seekers and refugees within half a mile of this building who are spat upon, who are verbally abused, who are violently attacked, who are looked down upon and discriminated against? The poor and the vulnerable and the needy are often victims of unfairness and violence and abuse and mistreatment. There's a wonderful organization called the International Justice Mission. And if you've not heard of them, if you do nothing else after this sermon today, I want you to go and I want you to look them up online. Because the work that they do is incredible. The International Justice Mission, they're a global organization and they partner with local justice systems to end violence against people living in poverty. And what do they do? Well, they do three main things. They rescue and restore victims of injustice, abuse, and violence. So they actually go and they rescue people out of being trafficked. They rescue women from abusive relationships. They rescue people from situations in which they are trapped and they don't just rescue them but they walk alongside them for years and years and years giving them counseling and tools and help to be restored again. That's one part of their work. Another part of their work which is incredible is that they bring criminals to justice. 
You know, very often the poorest of the poor and the most vulnerable and the most needy, they don't have the means to bring people to justice. They don't have the finance or they don't have the confidence or they don't have the connections to actually bring those who've abused them or hurt them to justice. But the International Justice Mission, they help with this. They bring criminals to justice. Traffickers, rapists, other criminals, they make sure that they go to jail so they can't exploit or enslave others again. And then the third thing they do is that they strengthen local justice systems. You know, in Northern Ireland, we have a pretty good justice system. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. But very often when you go to the developing world, the justice system is terrible. It's corrupt. There's problems within it. It's a disaster. It's hard to get justice. Very often a bribe will go a long way. But the International Justice Mission, they go out and they mentor and they train the police and judges and the community and how to change the justice system to help the poor and the vulnerable and the needy. Every year this organization help people who've suffered from land theft. An orphan or a widow have come and they've had their land taken away by criminals. They help people who've been victims of sex trafficking. They help people who've been victims of police power being abused. They, they help people who've been victims of sexual violence. They've helped people who've been victims of forced slave labor. The work of International Justice Mission is incredible. And if you fall asleep the rest of the sermon and zone out, just go and look them up. And if you do nothing else of application, find a way to get involved and support their work. I'd like you to stay awake though. What's amazing though about this organization is that they are a Christian organization. Now sometimes organizations are called Christian organizations and there's not a whole lot of Christian about them, but International Justice Mission really is a Christian organization. Part of the clause of working for them is that you must be a practicing Christian. If you're not a practicing Christian, whilst they might like the work you're doing, you cannot work for the International Justice Mission. They have over 900 staff working worldwide and every single one of them must be a practicing Christian. The founder of the mission, he founded it because he was a Christian. Now maybe you're wondering, okay Marty, that's great, but what has Christianity got to do with all of this stuff? What has Christianity got to do with helping the poor and putting criminals in jail. What has Christianity got to do with that? Well, it's really interesting because I think sometimes as Presbyterians, when we read our Bibles, we read it through the lens of salvation. So we read the Bible and we see a God who's concerned for the salvation of sinners, a God who wants to bring people to heaven, a God who wants to save people and transform people and change people. And you know what? You're absolutely right. The Bible is one big story about salvation. But sometimes I think we have our blinkers so set on that one thing that we can often miss many of the other big things that sweep through the Bible. Sometimes I think we can blinker in on that one thing that we miss some of the other huge priorities that God has for his world. You see, the founder of the International Justice Mission 
when he read his Bible, he saw almost on every page that God is a God who is interested in the poor and the needy and the vulnerable. He saw that God is a God who desires justice and fairness and care for the poor and the vulnerable and the needy of this world. Okay, Marty, well, where do we see it? Well, we definitely see it in the book of Proverbs. We see it all over Proverbs. I'm going to mention a few verses from Proverbs, but let me tell you, if you go and read Proverbs, you'll see this probably 30 to 40 times. I'm just going to highlight a few to show you that it's in Proverbs. So we see God's concern for justice and care of the poor, needy, and vulnerable in the book of Proverbs. And we see, first of all, right at the start, that this is one of the reasons why Proverbs was written. It was written to help people understand and do what is right and just and fair. Look at the opening of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, good. For understanding words of insight, good. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. Proverbs is written so that we will understand how to do what is just and right and fair in this world. We see it in chapter two, again, another introductory section. He says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Proverbs is a book that's trying to help us understand what is right and just and fair in this world. And one of the ways that Proverbs help us to understand what's right and just and fair is that it highlights what is unfair and unjust and not right. It highlights some things that are not good, some things that God hates, some things that are wrong, some things that are evil. Let me read just a couple of those. It should say Proverbs 11 on the next slide instead of Proverbs 1. So it's Proverbs 11, verse 1. But it says this. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A false weight, it's whenever someone is paying for a kilogram. I explained this another time, and they're only getting three quarters of a kilogram. It's when a shopkeeper takes money for something and gives the person less. And this was a practice that was done in the ancient world. It was a practice that robbed the poor. Imagine being a poor person. And you take the little money that you've got to buy food for your family and, and you give them that money and you get less than you deserve. That's unjust, isn't it? That's exploitive. And do you notice the strong language? A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. It's not just, you know, he doesn't like this or it's not good. It's an abomination. God hates this. He hates the exploitation of the poor. I don't know if you've ever been on holiday somewhere where they use a really random currency. Have you ever been somewhere like that? You know, so for a pound, you get, I don't know, like 704 of the, whatever their currency is. It's really confusing. Um, I've been to a number of countries like that, and it's really, really confusing. And what you do is, you know, you, you give the person the money, you know, for something, and then you just kind of hope they've given you the right change back, don't you? 
You have no idea if you've got the right change, but you just kind of hope and trust that you've got the right change. This is the type of thing the Lord hates, shortchanging someone. And yet this is something that happens, isn't it? People are shortchanged. Very often the poor and vulnerable are shortchanged. Something is taken from them and what is given to them is not what was promised or offered. Another passage then which shows us what's wrong is from Proverbs 13, 23. An unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. Now, we live in a kind of very modern society and we live in Belfast and I don't think any of us are farmers here. I don't think any of you rely on growing your own spuds or carrots. I think you probably buy them down Tesco's or somewhere like that. But in the ancient world, it was a very agricultural society. And, And there's two ways that poor people made money from a field. So they might have had their own field. Sorry, two ways they fed their family from a field. They might have had their own little field and they might have grown their own crops in it. And then they would have stored them away and then they would have fed their family from those crops. And so an unplowed field, this, this, this field that is producing food, this is a way that a family can, can feed their family, a poor family. But in the ancient world, very often whenever a, an orphan or widow was left, people would come and they would take their land. They would demand it, they would take it from them. And the little field that the family had would be taken away. Injustice, the Lord says, is what sweeps it away. The other way that they might have made money from a field is that they might have gone and worked in someone else's field, done a day's labor, plowing the fields, harvesting the food. They would have gone and worked for a day in someone else's field. But injustice would have swept their ability to feed their family away if they weren't paid at the end of the day. Imagine doing that. Imagine sweating all day, 12 hours of labor, working hard to get tuppence so that you can go home and feed your kids at night. And the landowner says, I'm not giving you anything. Injustice. It happens today though, doesn't it? This is something that the Lord hates. This is the type of thing that is an abomination to him. Then Proverbs 22 to 22 to 23, it says this, Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. Don't exploit them. Don't exploit the poor. Don't crush them in a court of law. Don't pray a bribe to to have the judge come down against them. And then there's a warning for the Lord will take up their case and exact life for life. Because if you do this, you will be under the judgment of God, Proverbs says. Do you see it here from Proverbs? God hates the exploitation of the poor. He hates when the poor and vulnerable are exploited and taken advantage of. It's clear there, isn't it? It is clear, yeah, you see it. Okay, let's go on to the next thing from Proverbs because what else we see is that God loves it when what is right and just is done. He loves it when what is right and just is done. Look what it says, and this is actually a striking statement. It says, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, here in Northern Ireland, you know, 
2022, we don't do sacrifice in church. You know, we're not going to bring animals in here and sacrifice them. There has been one sacrifice from sin that we are thankful for, and it's incredible, and Christ has died for our sins. That is the only sacrifice we need. But in the ancient world, whenever you read the Old Testament, the temple was this place where there were sacrifices to be made every day. The whole religion of the Old Testament, in a sense, could be summed up with the making of sacrifices. You sinned, you sacrificed. You wanted to give thanks to God, you sacrificed. All of religious activity, it wasn't about prayer or Bible reading or singing. The primary religious activity of the day in the Old Testament was sacrifice. And do you know what? People became really proud. And thought that they were in a great place with God if they were great at doing all these sacrifices. Oh, I'm so religious. I'm so religious. I'm so devout. God must be so pleased with me. And then they read this. And what a challenge that must be. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. The Lord loves it when we do what is right and just. I wonder what you'd say is God's scariest characteristic. Whenever you think of God uh, and you think of what the Bible says about God, I wonder what you think of as being his most frightening characteristic. Maybe you think of his holiness. Or maybe you think of his justice and his judgment. Do you know what I think the most frightening characteristic of God is? It's that he's good. God is good. He is really, really good. And he only loves what is good. He loves what's good. And he demands what's good. And he delights in what's good. And that's really, really frightening to me. Because so often as I think of how we live as Christians, especially with regards to the poor and vulnerable, we're not doing it particularly well. And we're not overly good in that department. We're good at sacrifice, we're good at church, we're good at prayers, we're good at Bible reading, we're good at singing, we're good at all that stuff. But what does it say to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than all of that? The Lord loves what is good and right and just. And then it gets even more challenging. You got your seatbelts on? Let's move to the next one. Proverbs tells us that the Lord condemns those who ignore the poor and vulnerable. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Isn't that an awful thought? If we close our ears to the poor and vulnerable, there will be a time whenever we are maybe in that situation or we need help and the Lord says, will himself call out and not be answered? It's pretty condemning, isn't it? Let's go on to the next verse. Again, those who give to the poor will lack nothing. What an encouragement to give. What an encouragement to be kind. You know, it's like this wonderful way God says, if you give to the poor, you'll lack nothing. But those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Some of you are here, and maybe you just wish you weren't hearing this sermon. 
maybe you're here and you just wish you could close your eyes and shut your ears and, and not have to listen to any more because it's really getting to you. But the Lord says that those who close their eyes to them, to the poor, to the needy, to the vulnerable, receive many curses. And then the final thing we see in Proverbs is that God actually calls his people to help the poor and vulnerable and needy. I don't think there is a clearer verse in all of the Bible. I don't think there's a clearer verse in all of Scripture than this one on what God wants us to do. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Don't get more black and white than that, does it? Do you see it in Proverbs? God is a God who loves the poor and the vulnerable and needy. He's a God who hates whenever people are exploited. He condemns us whenever we close our ears and our eyes to those around us in need. And he calls us not just to ignore them, but to step up and to speak out and to take action and to do things to help those around us who are poor and vulnerable and needy. We see it in Proverbs. We also see it in the whole of the Old Testament. You know, have you ever thought about why there's such bad stuff in the world? Why is there exploitation? Why is there abuse? Why is there all of these things? It's because of sin coming into the world in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they they rebelled against God. They went their own way and not God's way. And the curses came into the world because of their sin. Sin entered the world and caused all of these awful things to be. People became alienated from God. People became alienated from one another, causing war and crime and family breakdowns and oppression and injustice. People became alienated even from nature itself, causing hunger and sickness and aging and physical death. The reason why all of these things are in the world is because of sin. But I wonder, can you recall God's first redemptive act after sin came into the world? I wonder, can any of you remember the first thing that God did after uttering the curses in Genesis chapter 3? Can you remember? Here's what he did. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now on one hand, this is pointing to Jesus. To make skins of an animal and put them on, an animal had to be sacrificed and they were clothed with these garments and in a sense it points to the gospel. Christ was sacrificed and he clothed sinful people in his righteousness. It's a wonderful gospel picture but it's not just a gospel picture, is it? Adam and Eve were naked, feeling vulnerable. Adam and Eve were naked, exposed to the elements. And God, in his compassion and kindness, he he clothed them in their vulnerable state. He helped them. And then we move on a little bit further in the story of the Old Testament and we come to the law given to God's people. 
in Deuteronomy and and oh sorry yeah sorry we'll do this one first yeah later on God had established the people and he said they were going to be a blessing to the world and of course that ultimate blessing it's through Christ through Abraham eventually comes Jesus who provides the biggest blessing for the world but the first act of blessing the world the first act of blessing the world of God's people blessing the world comes through Joseph and what is it it's a hunger program the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands but the whole land of Egypt there was food and we found out that the nations came to buy food. What was the blessing? The first blessing that God's people were to the world it's that through Joseph hungry people were fed and didn't die. And then we come on to Deuteronomy. God's people have, are about to go into the land that God's promised them. And God is giving them the laws of the land to live by. And this is just one example, but there are endless examples in Deuteronomy of laws that were meant to be part of the fabric of society. Deuteronomy 15, as God says to his people, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. And there's other laws in Deuteronomy about the sojourner, the stranger, the immigrant, as they come into your land, let some fruit and vegetables lay on the corner of your field so they can come and glean and pick it up. Welcome the stranger. Treat them with kindness. Don't abuse them. Don't exploit them. All part of God's law given to his people in the Old Testament. And then in the later years of the Old Testament, when God's people had not done this well, when God's people had not taken this seriously, then God condemns them for it. Look at what he says through the prophet Amos. And again, this is just one example. There are countless examples in the Old Testament prophets. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Do you see what they're doing there? They're selling people. They're selling human beings made in the image of God for sandals and bits of silver. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and they deny justice to the oppressed. Do you see what God condemns them for? He condemns them for their lack of compassion and care and justice for the poor and needy and the vulnerable. We see that God is a God who is compassionate and interested in the care and justice for the oppressed in Proverbs, in the Old Testament. But even more challenging, we see it over and over and over again from the mouth and the teachings of Jesus Christ. We're Christians, aren't we? Christians, Christ-likes. We're meant to be like Christ. And I don't know, but somehow I think when we read the Gospels, we miss it. But Jesus, over and over and over again, talks about caring for the poor and the vulnerable and the needy. And he doesn't just talk about caring for them, but he condemns the religious leaders who don't. Look at what he says here in Mark 12. He says, watch out for the teachers of the law. Watch out for these religious men who go about teaching the scriptures ever so well. 
You know, these are the Bible teachers he's talking about. Watch out, he says, for the teachers of the law. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Do you see what they do? They teach the Bible. They say wonderful, long, fantastic prayers. But Jesus says they devour widows' houses. What does that mean? It means they exploit widows. Now, I don't know the details of it. I don't know what was going on exactly in Jesus' day. But Jesus had obviously seen enough to know that there were religious men who were doing all the stuff at the front, all the Bible teaching, all the prayers, but behind the scenes exploiting widows. And Jesus says, such men will be punished most severely. Jesus is concerned for the widow concerned for justice, concerned for her care, and hates to see a widow being taken advantage of. Let's go on to the next one again, another challenging one. You Pharisees, so the Pharisees, they were the most religious, strictest sect of Judaism. They kept the laws of God and they made laws that they kept, which even added to the laws, they were really religious. Let's just put it that way. And look what Jesus says to them, how challenging to them. You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish. So this was one of their practices. They had to clean their cups and dishes really well before they'd eat off it, okay? You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed, Give what is inside to the poor and everything will be clean for you. You Pharisees, you're great at all the religious rules. You're great at all the religious laws, but you don't give to the poor. You don't help the needy. You're greedy. You've got big bank balances and you've given nothing to the poor and needy and vulnerable. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. But perhaps for us, the most challenging words are the words we read earlier. Oh boy, are they challenging, aren't they? Did you notice who Jesus identified there? Have a look at the next slide. He identifies the hungry and the strangers and the naked and the sick and the imprisoned. And he says to his disciples, and he says to us, whatever you did for these folk, you did for me. And whatever you didn't do for these folk, you didn't do for me. Do you see Jesus, how closely he identifies with believers who are hungry and naked and sick and imprisoned and strangers? He goes to the point of saying that whatever you do for them, you're actually doing for me. What an incentive to help. What an incentive to stand for the cause of the vulnerable and the needy and the oppressed. To help the hungry, to give them food, to meet their immediate need. Strangers, that's immigrants, that is the foreigner. And Jesus says that you invited, you welcomed them in. You didn't just kind of tolerate them, but you actually invited them in somehow. You made them feel welcome, you got to know them. The naked you clothed, the sick you helped, the imprisoned, presumably for being imprisoned unjustly, you went and you visited and you encouraged. Now I hope I've made my case. I'm sorry if you're a bit zoned out. I'm sorry if this is a bit heavy, but I felt I really needed to make the case this morning because I think as Presbyterians we, we sometimes miss this in the Bible.
but I think I've made the case, have I? God cares for justice, for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable. He, he wants them to be cared for. He has a heart for them. We see it in Proverbs. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. But now here is the question. Do we see it in our lives? That's a personal question for you. Do you see this in your life? If we were able to do an x-ray of your heart, I don't know if you do x-rays of hearts, but you get the idea. If we were able to listen to the thoughts in your mind, if we were able to get to your heart and see what's in there, is there any kind of concern or compassion for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable? Is there? And my second question is this, is that is there enough compassion that you're actually doing something about it? You see, it's really interesting with Jesus' words, isn't it? He doesn't say, you saw the hungry and you felt sorry for them. He doesn't say, you saw the stranger and you kind of felt bad for them. No, Jesus says that you saw them and you did something. That the thing that was in your heart, the compassion in your heart, Jesus says that it moved out into your hands. And you did something. You did something about it. Friend, if you're here this morning and you have received the grace and compassion and love of Christ, there should be something within you that has a heart for the poor and needy. That should be a natural response. That should be something natural that happens. And if there's not, my friend, I think you need to think about your salvation this morning. Have you received Christ's grace? Have you received his compassion? Have you received his love? And if not, will you? Will you? Let me finish by, by trying to land a few applications here, trying to help us think through um, what we might do differently in light of this. So the first thing I want you to do is to start to try to just have this on your radar a bit more. Like I said, we're, I'm, I'm blinkered. I think we're all blinkered if we're Presbyterians. We're blinkered towards kind of a salvation-only gospel, and that is important. That is the main thing that is in the Bible. But what I think we need to do is I think we need to have this on our radar, that God cares about the poor and the needy. As we walk about our lives, as we live our lives, I think we need to put this on our radar. I think, I hope this morning you've seen that it's there. God's compassionate and he's interested in these people and he wants us to be too, okay? So that's the first thing. As you leave here today, stick this on your radar, mull over this, think through this. Don't let this just be something that you listen to in church and it goes out the other ear and you don't do anything about it. Put it on your radar. A second application then is that maybe you can help someone with relief. Maybe you know a wee family, and right now you know they're struggling to put food on the table. Could you help? Could you bring them a meal? Could you, could you bring them some immediate relief? We do free food Friday on a Friday morning. That's just immediate relief. 
We have food available every Friday morning. People come and they take it for free. They're not asked for anything. They just come and they take it. And it's amazing the people who come. Uh, a few weeks ago, I think we had nine different nationalities from all over the world, people with all different stories and all different backgrounds, some from living who were born and bred here and some who've been born as far away as India. And we provide immediate relief. And just to say, if, if you have a heart for that and you want to come down on a Friday morning from half nine to half ten and meet some of these people, come down and chat to them and hear their stories and encourage them. Likewise, if you think, you know, I can't come down, but I'd like to give some food to that, we, we don't have an official food thing for that. We get it all free from Tesco's. But if you'd like to give food to go out on a Friday, bring it along. We'll put it in the library there and, and we'll save it up and we'll, we'll give it out. But I wonder, can you provide relief for people? Another thing then is to, to go on from relief to development. Now, I think this is other organizations need to do these next two, not necessarily individuals or the church, but, but to develop people. It's okay helping people for a minute. It's that old ad, you know, give a man a fish and he will eat for a day. Give a man a fishing rod and he can eat for a lifetime. Development is the fishing rod type thing. I wonder, could you be involved in a community organization that's helping to develop a poor community? I wonder, could you even be involved in something around this area that's really getting into the community and helping people? Or I wonder, will the Lord call us as a church to maybe do something like that? But can you get involved in development? And then the third thing that, that we can do is social reform, trying to, to reform the big overarching systems by lobbying governments or by partnering with International Justice Mission or something like that. I love the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a favorite, I think, does, does anyone not like that story? It's brilliant, isn't it? And it's really interesting because the Good Samaritan, he provides immediate relief. There he is. He picks the man up and he takes him to the inn and he pays for the man to be made better. And that's wonderful. But social reform, imagine that kept happening. Imagine that on the, on the road to Jericho, people kept getting robbed. Every day they were robbed, 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 robbed. Social reform is whenever the Good Samaritan goes to the government and says, we need to do something to change the way this is working. This ain't working. Something is broken. Something's got to change. And as Christians, I think we need to be lobbying for social change where we see a need for it. We need to vote in a way that upholds the vulnerable and the needy. We need to lobby governments to act on their behalf. Marty, all this sounds a wee bit kind of, well, a bit strange to be talking to us about. I mean, we're the church, you know, we're, we're interested in evangelism and discipleship. Amen, we are. We are interested in that. But Martin Luther, Martin Luther, the man who really worked so hard to expound justification by faith alone and Christ alone through the gospel alone, he says this, and I'll finish with this quote. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We're saved by faith alone, but that faith that saves should be producing through us and in us good works in accordance with the things that God cares about. My guess is I've left you with more questions than answers, but my hope is that you've been challenged, and my hope is that we do something.
Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, give us a heart like yours, a heart that cares for the poor and vulnerable and needy. Give us eyes to see them, give us ears that will listen to them, give us hands that will help them. Lord, encourage us and challenge us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.